You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 152. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and as always, I am in addiction recovery. I have been having some of the most amazing conversations with people who work in and around the addiction recovery community. It has been absolutely fantastic making um, hundreds of these phone calls over the last couple of weeks, just reaching out and building the network and understanding more about what it is people who work at these facilities, at these treatment centers, at these detox centers, what is it that they're experiencing, right? They're the ones with the feet in the mud and their, their hands in the dirt. They're experiencing it at a ground level. I don't get that. Because I, I don't, it's not that I don't understand it. What I mean by I don't get that is that I don't get to have those experiences because I'm not there day in and day out the way that they are. Even someone in my in my own tribe works with people uh, with mental health and really does an amazing amount of stuff there. Like she's seeing an aspect of it I don't see. Uh, I get the experience I have when y'all write me and DM me and then the phone calls that we have and then the people in the tribe, I get to experience what addiction recovery is like for them, right? We've got some people who just passed, you know, I've had people literally pass 30 day mark with me and now they're in the hundreds and hundreds of days and it's it's fantastic to watch the growth, but that's it's it's more of a limited pool than someone who runs a treatment facility who might see hundreds and hundreds of people a year. So I'm having these phone calls. And yesterday I had one with a woman by the name of Shirley, who was just the most joyful person that I could have possibly have hoped to have answered a phone call of mine. And uh, I won't discuss where she works just for the sake of anonymity, but the conversation was amazing. And the quote that came out of it, the reason that I have for specifically bringing this up and wanting to discuss this is that we we were talking I mean 37 minute long call it was a, just the most joy to have and she she got really excited when she said this she goes you, she's like you know with sobriety and addiction recovery you can dream again you can get sober and you can achieve again you can dream again and I immediately thought well, I was like that's it I mean that's that's the title of an episode you can dream again and it is in many ways, that might be what this episode's called, but it may not be. I don't know. Let's see where this journey of this the next 40 minutes takes us. What I started to think about over the last 24 hours as I really absorbed in what Shirley and I talked about was this idea of you can dream again. What is it to dream? And what would hold us back from dreaming? There are so many powerful, amazing things that come from sobriety and recovery. What is holding us back from taking these steps years ago when we knew our behavior was destroying us, when we knew that it was leaving us as a shell of ourselves, it was causing experiences that we thought were fun to not really be fun, or we were ruining good experiences simply because there wasn't enough alcohol or drugs within our reach. We would stand at the bar at a wedding rather than being on the dance floor having fun with everyone because, heaven forbid, we didn't have a beer and a shot in our hand. What was ca- what was causing us to experience things that way and not realizing that we were holding ourselves back from our fullest potential by actually being intoxicated? What was 
What were we sacrificing in those moments that stopped us from being able to dream? From being able to dream about what life will actually be like when we no longer are you know, at the mercy of our addiction. And instead, we can embrace this, this world, this journey of so, from sobriety to recovery. And then I started getting in, well, how are we experiencing our life? How are we choosing to experience our life? Now, just a little quick pre-frame about where we're going to go with this episode is that we're going to talk about the way that we choose to frame our lives, the way that we choose to remember our lives, and the way that we can start to change the way that we experience um, our past and our future and our present self. And we're going to do this under the entire world of the neuro-linguistic programming's ideas around framing. And what is framing? What is pre-framing? What is reframing? What are these three terms? Because you're doing them all the time. You just don't necessarily realize it. You've used the word pre-frame, you've used the word frame, and you've used the word reframe. But did you know that these were actually naturally occurring actions by the brain? And by embracing the fact that this stuff happens constantly, we can actually begin to control when and how we utilize these three practices of pre-framing, framing, and reframing. It's absolutely ideal for you to begin to dream again, to be understand that the way you're framing sobriety and recovery might actually be holding you back from the most amazing dream you really have. You might have framed your life and your experiences and who you are, the identity that you're holding on to. I am a drunk. I am a druggie. I am a loser. I am a cheater. I am a liar. I am not someone who shows up on time. I am not someone who can be trusted. Okay. All of those things may have been true about yourself when you were using. I don't know. But you're choosing to frame yourself that way. Other people are choosing to frame you. They could reframe who you are now compared to who you were then, right? That's what happens whenever all of a sudden somebody looks at you and goes like, wow, you know, I used to think that you were unreliable, but now ever since you got sober, you show up on time and and when you say you'll do something, you absolutely do it. I have a lot of respect for, for your hard work and what you've done. You, my opinion of you has changed. They've reframed who they thought you were because that's who you were being then. They've reframed who they saw you as then, and now they've changed it to see you in a different way now. That's reframing. It's happening constantly. The frame they had for you no longer fits because you're a different person, so they've reframed you in their head. A pre-frame happens before a conversation starts. It happens before an event. Right? It might, you might explain why, what, how, or what if things could or could not happen before something starts. You might get into a conversation with a loved one and say, what I'm getting ready to tell you is going to be extremely difficult for you to hear, but honestly, when it's all said and done, we're going to love each other more. That's a pre-frame, right? Letting them know that this could be difficult to hear. Right? That could be more of an away from energy. You could also sit down the same loved one and say, hey, what we're getting ready to discuss, it's, it's going to be powerful. It's going to be monumental, and it's going to change the course of our relationship, and I can't wait to have it with you. That's a really... That's a really toward pre-frame, right? You could still have the same exact conversation, but now one of them was, this is going to be super difficult and it's going to be tough versus this is going to be amazingly powerful and it's going to bond us like no other. It's still going to be the same conversation, but how did you pre-frame it? With that toward energy, we're moving toward an amazing experience or let's get away from this difficult experience. Either way, it's happening. You frame 
and reframe and preframe all the time. One of my favorite stories about preframing is when Michael Jordan was getting pushed around by the Detroit Pistons in the late 80s, he decided he needed to put on more muscle. So when he went and found a personal trainer to help him put on more muscle, and the personal trainer told him, look, we're going to put on a lot of muscle on your body. And when we do, it's going to change the way you shoot the ball. And you're going to have to relearn your shot in order to be able to to um, make up the difference for all this new muscle. Your body's not going to be used to it. You were skinny, and now you're going to be muscular. And sure enough, as he started putting on muscle, his shot went to hell. And he turned to the trainer and was like, what the heck happened? And the trainer simply said, remember at the beginning of this training, I told you, your muscles were going to change your shot. And you were going to have to be willing to tinker with it and learn a whole new way of shooting in order to get back your accuracy and your precision. And Michael's really like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're right. Okay, cool. So this is just part of the process. No big deal. Let's move forward then. That's a powerful preframe. You preframe all the time. I could preframe sobriety as being something like, man, it's going to be super difficult. You're going to hate life for the first 90 days, but I promise you on the other side of it, it's going to be amazing. Okay, that could be true. I'm sure a lot of you have experienced it that way. I could also preframe sobriety like this. Man, I mean, it was changes by the dozen every single day. And it was it was awesome. It was just so cool to see how flexible I was mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and physically, uh, how amazing it was to experience new things all the time and just take them in with like childlike wonder of how quickly and fascinatingly I could grow towards a more empowered sense of self. That's what my first 90 days was like. Now, which one sounds better? (laughs) I mean, come on. It's going to be miserable. You're going to hate every single moment of it. But when you get to day 91, it'll be amazing. Or, wow, you're going to change a lot. And it's going to be fantastic. You're going to notice so many amazing things about yourself. You're not even going to ever, you're going to question why you ever even used to begin with, let alone why you would ever want to go back. The first 90 days are magical. They're wondrous. They're phenomenal. Will there be ups and downs and ebb and flows? Sure. But I promise you, if you see it as part of the process, it will be amazing. Which preframe sounds like the one you want to sign up for? If both of those were roller coaster rides, which one do you want to go down? The miserable, you're going to wish you were dead hell ride. Or the, wow, this is fantastic and uplifting and I'm going to see the stars in a way I've never seen them before. Which, which ride do you want to sign up for? Because if you said A, the hell ride to the depths of despair, <laughs> you, you need to set up a call just to discuss that. <laughs> Let alone the fact that you passed up on the wondrous heavenly ride of the soul uplifting journey that sobriety to recovery is. So that's your preframe. And you can go either way. You choose. You choose how you preframe. Just like you choose how to frame. Are you going to frame your addictive experiences under this guise of, I was a piece of shit, I was worthless, I was a horrible person, I don't deserve anything, screw me, screw everyone, fuck the world, bad, 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 right? You, you picture yourself in your head as this wanderer, you know, this wandering soul who has no identity, but nothing but despair and pain. That's, that could be how you decide to frame who you used to be. Or you could see yourself as just being this wonderful wonderful soul who went on this amazing journey with amazing and horrible ups and down, highs and lows, 
right? That, that experienced addiction at its depths, but also experienced it in its heights and had great times and had bad times. But now you've evolved, you've matured, you've learned enough about yourself to know that behaving that way no longer is good for you. Screw that. I'm ready to achieve things sober. You, you could choose to frame that that way. You could picture yourself on your 21st birthday getting blacked out drunk and think that's a lost soul of despair and he was a worthless piece of crap. Or I can see myself at 21 as being like, man, that was just me being young, dumb, and full of nothing and not even realizing the decisions I made then were, were costing me opportunities in the present. But man, am I glad I experienced that then because now I know how heavenly and amazing my life is now. Sure, sure, I get it, I get it. Lots of people didn't have to go through that to think that their life was amazing. But also, right, some people could have a midlife crisis in their 40s, you know, divorce their spouse, leave their kids behind, you know, get the fast car and, and, and the fast, you know, chick or dude or whatever in the passenger seat and, you know, blowing rails in bathrooms and going to clubs in their 40s because they missed out on their 20s. You don't got to worry about that. You've done all that. Whether it was in your teens, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, whatever it is, you did it. You did it. When somebody calls me up and they're like, dude, man, we're going to go to this club. It's like a four-story club. And they fill up the, the, the bottom dance floor full of soap suds. And there's this slide at the top. And it goes all the way down into this awesome soap suds party. And there's people in cages and trance and techno and like Nine Inch Nails music playing. And the people in cages are wearing scantily clad. And they're all buff and oiled up. You got to come out to this, man. It's amazing. I'm like, yeah, I remember that. That was 1998 Miami. I'm good. I remember that. I, I don't know if you could have told by the base off the way that I explained that situation, how well and vivid it's in my memory. Yeah, I did that multiple times in Miami in the summer of 98. I'm good. Thank you very much. I, now I frame a situation like that. As, yeah, yeah, I can see how that'd be entertaining, but I've done it. It's that been there, done that mentality. That's a frame we have. I don't need to do it anymore because I've already experienced it. I have a whole new frame on life. Quiet Friday and Saturday nights are my gig now. I'm cool with that. I don't need to be at a bar at one in the morning on a Saturday playing pool with a bunch of people I barely know that I'm only friends with because we all get drunk at the same dive bar. That's not the way I want to spend my Saturday nights anymore. In my 20s, that made total sense. That was my frame of life then. Let me experience. Let me party. Let me be the coolest kid in the bar. Let me have everybody know my name because I'm the one who rolled in with a bag full of drugs. Great. That's what 20-year-old Jesse wanted to experience. Hallelujah that he was able to experience that. That was important to him then. 45-year-old Jesse, he has different things that are important to him. So these are the things that I seek out now. But your framing, like these shortcuts you use, to, to process this complex amount of information that your mind is taking in at all times, right? That's, that's the frame. It, it, these frames help, you, uh, help us understand and interpret the world around us. And not only do we interpret the world around us utilizing these frames, right? You have a, I, I have a frame of a, of a techno club with people in cages and soap sides. I have that frame. So now when somebody mentions that to me, I just picture that frame and then I get to make my decisions based on the way I see that frame now in my head. But certainly I have reframed, which is another term we're going to dive into now. I have reframed the way I see that, that, that trance club with the soap suds and the cages. I, I've reframed it from how I saw it in my 20s. Now I see it now. I don't choose to see it like, oh, poor Jesse. He was such a lost soul. God, if he only had gotten his head and pulled it out of his tookish, imagine it what he could have accomplished. I look at it like, well, that's cool that I experienced that. I can always say that I've experienced that. I just don't need to experience it anymore. 
if I'm out and about in a really amazing city and somebody's like, dude, there's this amazing club with, with, with soap suds and cages and four stories. I mean, sure. If that's what we want to do, but I don't have to go there in order to experience it. Cause I've, I've reframed those kind of experiences. Those are cool and all, but I don't need it to be happy. I've reframed going to live sporting events. I actually like watching me at home. I don't necessarily need to push around all the people and be walking behind slow people and get to the sporting event and be sitting super up high and not be able to check my fantasy football scores. It doesn't really entertain me. But I've definitely framed going to live music as an experience, as a chance to actually hear the musician's music live and in person and get to be there with that amazing um, ebb and flow of positive energy. I, I have framed going to live music in such a way that I'll drive hundreds of miles to see a band I love simply to be able to have that experience. I once DJed a wedding in San Francisco and drove straight to Las Vegas to see Arcade Fire at Mandalay Bay. Amazing concert. It was just the most amazing concert. And then I got in my car and drove four hours back to Los Angeles. It was a lot, but it was all worth it. It's one of my most amazing memories I have. I've seen Arcade Fire a handful of times. And out of all the ways I've seen concerts, I mean, I once drove from Indiana down to New Orleans for a jazz fest to see the Almond Brothers and Fish. Uh, you know, I used to go see the Grateful Dead and Fish at Deer Creek. Or, you know, I once, I once saw Aerosmith three times in like six days and went on some amazing road trips to do that. These are memories I framed very positively, regardless of the frame of mind I was in then. I see them now as a love and devotion to music because it's a frame I choose to see. I think it's desirable. I think it actually benefits me. This framing helps me organize my world into this explainable way for me to talk about it to you. Right, Framing will help you organize your world into an explainable way, a more understandable way. Right, We frame certain events based on sports or music or fun or leisure or birthdays. These are all frames that we're putting around things. And a frame can have tons of different details to it. The issue that can arise is that when we go to explain our world, we're labeling it. Right? And then when we give these meanings to it, what the, what the frame around it means, right? we can also, the, here's the issue. We give it meaning but to what we can consciously pay attention to, but we eliminate aspects of the frame, of the memory, um, because it doesn't fit the cognitive bias of what, of, you know, of what we think we're experiencing or, the, or it doesn't fit to our identity. Or because of the way that our mind is programmed to delete, distort, and generalize. Those who've taken NLP from me uh, in the tribe, they've heard of delete, distort, generalize. These are three processes all brains go through to take 2.3 million bits of data, which is what you experience every second of your life, down to a more manageable 126 that the conscious mind can hold on to. Well, the way that the unconscious mind siphons through 2.3 million bits of data in order to give you the 126 that you can actually consciously hold on to is by deletion, distortion, and generalizations. That's why when you might think of, you know, uh, middle-aged white women in the suburbs, you have a certain idea of what that means versus somebody who's uh, a young and uh, young and in an urban area. Right. So and even trying to bring these kind of examples up, I'm like, oh, God, cancel culture. Right. Oh, liberals and conservatives. But think about liberals. Think about conservatives. When you think of a liberal or you think of a conservative, what do you picture in your head? That's the frame around liberals and conservatives you have. 
and you've created those frames, those pictures in your mind based off of deletion, distortion, and generalizations. You don't get to choose whether your brain deletes, distorts, and generalizes. The unconscious mind has these built in. They've, now, the way it deletes, distorts, and generalizes, that's been programmed into you. Right, that comes from the environment where you were raised, or what decade, or you know what generation you're in, um, the time period. That's another decade, you know, time period that you're in. Also, the time of day you experience things. I call you up at three in the morning and ask you for a dollar to buy a soda. You're probably not going to be very happy with me. At 10 a.m. at work in front of a vending machine, I ask you to borrow, borrow a dollar for a soda. You're probably pretty okay with it, right? Time has a lot to do with it. The attitude. Right? You ever heard, you know, don't ask your parents when you were a kid, don't ask your parents for a favor when they're in a bad mood? Of course. Attitude has a lot to determine with the way we d- we choose to frame things. Oh, dad's in a bad mood. Don't ask him for a favor. Dad's in a good mood. Let's ask him for a favor. That's the frame you have around dad's attitude. This framing provides uh, this meaning. It, it provides us meaning through selective simplification. Where Our brains are always looking to simplify things. It's that's what it does. I mean, at its root, your brain is it exists to keep you alive. It's what it's what allows you to breathe instead of having to think about breathing. If we as creatures had to think about breathing, we never would have evolved past amoeba, because you couldn't be thinking about breathing while at the same time being you know chasing after dinner or being chased by a, an animal who wants to eat you for dinner. You couldn't be you know breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. And then also be trying to like build a house or survive in a cave. We wouldn't have made it past, you know, little squishy fish that came out of the ocean if we were having to think about breathing. It's just part of our unconscious mind's job. But that's, it, it, and it's there. And it's, it's, to me, it's the most important of its all functions because if you're not breathing, you're dead. But it's got that on lockdown. So you don't have to worry about that. Now your unconscious and conscious mind get to sit inside your head and just conjure up stories about what you think's happening, what's really happened. Let's remember a memory from 17 years ago and then let's completely see it differently and let's let it stress us out. Let's get stressed out about the past and how it might screw up our future. Oh, let's think about the future. Now let's let's have a frame around what we think we're capable of in the future, and then let's get super full of anxiety and stress about that. And then let's think about something that happened 17 17 years ago in the past, and let's get super depressed and super mad and super sad and super jealous and all these undesirable emotions, all these negative emotions. Let's, Let's be... Let's think back to this picture we have in our head of 17 years ago, and let's let's picture it negatively. Let's put a negative frame around it, and let's let it cause us humongous bouts of depression now. And simultaneously, let's think about 17 years in the future and get so worked up about what we think we can or cannot achieve between now and 17 years that we let that jack us full of anxiety and stress. And now let's take super depressed and super anxiety, and let's smash them together into the present moment. How on earth did anybody get out of bed? How <laughs> does anybody get out of bed? If you frame your life in this way, then you are going to run yourself ragged. When these filters alter our reality of what, we, of what really occurred to the point where we are now pestic, pessimistic, even in these faces of very optimistic odds, or when we are optimistic, even despite pessimistic odds, we experience this incongruous charge within our body. 
we we know where we now I'm now I've got now I'm getting a charge which tells me this is good that we're talking about this. When you feel a charge, you take charge. You don't always know what the charge means, but it's the unconscious mind and the conscious mind signaling to you that something important is happening. Step into self-awareness. Framing is this is a problem versus this is a solution opportunity. Framing is I don't know how to do this versus I don't know how to do this yet. Framing is I hate diets versus I enjoy my nutrition strategy. I have to versus I get to. One's a frame. I, I don't know how to do this. That's the frame that you're seeing it. Then you reframe it to this is a solution opportunity. Or I, I don't know how to do this yet. I hate diets is how you're framing eating more healthy. You could reframe it to I enjoy my nutrition strategy, knowing that by following it for a long period of time, you will better your health. And you either make time to be healthy now or you can make time to be sick later. Thank you, Kaylin. So, you know, I'm watching someone like Tim in my tribe go from somebody who, you know, just a year or so ago would have battled with himself being able to consistently go to the gym two, three times a week to now all of a sudden he's becoming a professional bodybuilder or like an amateur professional bodybuilder. Anyways, dude, straight badass. The point being is he reframed how he saw working out in his head that he can put in the time to be healthy now and to achieve these amazing goals that take willpower and discipline and tenacity. He can step into that now, or one day he could look back and wonder whatever happened to his body and he can make time to be sick then. He, Tim brought up something really amazing in the, in the Voxer chat where the tribe meets to discuss things about how, how impressed he is by the human body's resiliency to overcome years of abuse and now to be seemingly you know working at all cylinders, just pumping out great vibes, great energy, great dedication to what it is he desires for his body and his current goals. And he's right. The human body is amazing. It's resilient. It is beyond fathomable. The damage we can do to the human body and given enough time, the, the, how it can reverse the effects and actually get us on the right track. The human mind is just as powerful. In fact, it's the human mind that in conjunction with the body and this positive spirit and this mental sharpness to want to learn more and grow, it's when you have this beautiful symphony of physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, and they're playing in harmony. And in my, right now in, here in the, in the living room, I'm moving my hands around and creating like this 3D ball, right? Where like everything just dances and floats and it's like you're raving, right? And your hands are just moving all around and everything just seems like it's um, this, this it's, it's like this balance of perfection, Right, you ever seen um what was the go oh, there was a, there was some movie where like things are spinning around and it's like these sharp I can't remember it now. Anyways, but okay, let me reel in the sidebar. The point with what Kaylin and Tim were bringing up and what people were chiming in is that the body's resilient, the mind's resilient. It's amazing. Part of the reason why we can do this is because the mind has this ability to reframe. the the mind The mind takes experiences and it puts it around a frame, and we have seen it for what it is then. And then we can choose to reframe it and see it the way that it is now. When Shirley talks about how you can dream again, you can achieve again, you can be things that you never thought you could be. In fact, when you first step into sobriety and recovery, chances are, if you're like me, what you will create in your life goes beyond anything that you could have actually imagined then. And I got a damn badass imagination. 
I got a couple thousand hits of LSD under my belt. Boy, how deep can I daydream? And I still couldn't have put this life together five years ago the way that it is now. Sure, I had ideas of helping other people, of being in a happy relationship, of learning really cool stuff, of figuring out a way to help other people learn new stuff. That's just what I enjoyed doing, even in my addiction. I always knew there was a speaker in me, a, perhaps a professor, a teacher, a coach, a trainer. I always knew these were things I enjoyed doing because when people ask me to help them learn something, I, would, I get really excited. Somebody's like, hey, I don't know how to make coffee. Then you teach them how to make coffee, and now they can always make coffee. I've always been the teach a man to fish kind of person, right? Because I want them to walk away and be like, cool, now I can make coffee. Plus that, and I don't always have to make them coffee. Now I've got it so much. In, 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 I'm so locked up with this help others grow and experience. Now I, want it, now I don't just want to teach a, a human to fish. I want to teach humans how to teach other humans to fish. Because then, there's the, then, then, then it stretches. I want you to learn this material in such a way and experience it and apply it and evaluate it in such a way that then you can go off and you tell other people about this show. You tell people how it's changed your perspective. You tell people how many amazing tools and resources that you've taken from this show and how you apply them now. I want you to do that. There's also a part of me that wants you to join me in this journey. Let me teach you how I talk like this. Let me teach you how I learned to think like this because this version of me now is not who I was on January 12th, 2017. Yes, I enjoyed teaching people things and I enjoyed learning, but there wasn't a discipline. There wasn't a tenacity. There, I wasn't doing it the way that I am now. I learned this in my first couple years and then I kept learning it and I kept bringing in new things because I changed the frame I had about what it was I was capable of. And when I run into a wall, when I run into this incongruence of, oh, I don't know how to do that. Maybe I don't know how to do some things. Okay, I may not know how to do things yet. And I can choose to continue not knowing how to do something. But then it's my choice. I know it's my choice. I could learn how to do it. I could learn how to move through this perceived problem, turn it into a solution opportunity, and then one day have habituated it so much that I don't even remember it ever having been a problem, let alone an opportunity that needed a solution too. That's when, that, that's when you, this stuff starts going next level. I think it was Kalen, who, somebody mentioned in the tribe one time that there's these Jesseisms, these things that I repeat for episode after episode after episode. And maybe it was even Tim or Lindsay, someone mentioned this. And after a while, I just stopped saying them. And my only thought around that, the only thing I could figure out was that I repeat them until they become so ingrained in my identity and into my habituation that I don't need to remind myself of it anymore, that it is just who I am now. This is one of the reasons I'm going back to my old podcast and I'm listening through them and I'm going to transcribe them and turn them into a book because I have a feeling that I used to talk about some things and and that I would love to be able to continuously bring back. I want to be able to pre-frame certain episodes with, hey, this is what I discussed then. You should go listen to it and then come back to this one if you'd like and hear it the way I'm talking about it now in this new frame. That was the then frame. This is the, the current frame. And there might be some of those episodes where I need to go back and reframe the way that I talked about material because now I have a whole new way of seeing it. Now I have two and a half more years, three more years of experience with it, and it's not the same that it used to be. But without going back and reviewing that stuff, I won't know. 
And there's no reason to go back and review it if I'm not going to turn it into something actionable that you can use. And one of the ways I'm going to make sure that's available to you is I'm going to put it in the membership site. I'm launching a whole membership site around this show, right? Because it, it's in everything I do, really. It's not just for the sobriety show, but it's also for the college show and for all the people who see me speak live and all of my various formats, right? Because I have a new frame around this. How can I get more people involved so that they can absorb it, they can learn it, and then they can go off and they can, they perhaps can teach it to other people. You want to learn how to teach people stuff? I can help you do that. But it's all in the, it's all in this idea that you can achieve and you can dream if you understand that how you're framing things now may not be the most desirable way that will lead you to your highest potential that will lead you to the place you've always wanted to go. These frames, they can create conflict, not just between your who you were then and who you are now, because those are definitely two different people, but it can actually, this framing can cause conflict between you and one other person or you and a whole group of people. Because these frames are built upon interpretations of circumstances and events that we've experienced, the, the whole process happens uniquely to everyone so therefore, these interpretations, these experiences are so different. They're so incompatible from even the person standing next to you at the fireworks show that the two parties, the two of you, are bound to have conflict when you discuss what it is you enjoyed or what it is you think you saw or what it is you think you heard or what it is it you think you felt during the fireworks demonstration for this particular metaphor. I mean, think about the infinite amount of things that are happening on any given day and how people will experience them differently. The Olympics can be one of those. Some people can see this as American athletes going over there and supporting the country by showing our amazing athleticism and domination of certain sports. Other people could experience it as, you know, we've got a lot of issues with that side of the country or that side of the world. Why are our athletes even there? They should be boycotting it. Right? They should not be there. And then some people might say, well, athletes shouldn't have to be political. They should be able to be outside of that. They should just go over there and do their thing because they've worked their butts off. Other people say, yeah, but if you really support where you live, you don't put yourself in those situations if you know it, it goes against uh, what it is that our country stands for. Right? There's, there's human rights violations there. We don't stand up for that. So when we go over there, it's almost like we're supporting it. Both people have... Um, this thought process that they're right, they both have a frame around the argument that seems exactly correct to them. And both perspectives have validity to them. But to believe that your perspective somehow usurps somebody else's just because you scream louder than them, or you get on TV and you yell about it, or you get on the internet and you go nuts about it, doesn't make your point any more right than their point. Everybody has their own way of framing things. Some people think that, it, that people who are addicts are weak-minded and weak-willed and stupid and deserve everything that they get. Okay, I don't agree with that. I'm sure they have experiences in their life that have caused them to form that opinion, right? Strong opinions loosely held is my theory on that. Have a strong opinion, but don't hold on to it with such a death grip that you can't um, experience somebody else's point of view that you can't allow for some new information to come in that could alter the way that you experience addiction. Just like somebody else might think, well, addicts are amazing and they're so strong and they're so powerful. And thank God I went through addiction because now I get to have those experiences and I get to go out and I get to make the world a better place with that lowest of lows under my belt. So now I can appreciate my highest of highs. 
I love that perspective. I absolutely subscribe to that perspective. But me subscribing to that perspective does not invalidate somebody else's perspective, regardless of whether I agree with it or not. They have their frame for the reasons they have their frames. That's all part of their deletion, distortion, generalization. That's all part of their time and space and environment and attitude and experiences and memories and personality metaprograms. Everybody has this stuff running, guys. Everybody has this stuff running. To negate somebody else's frame in favor of your frame just because you don't want to accept their frame as being a possibility of reality is locking yourself up from experiencing more of the, of the beautiful genius that is this universe that we live in. To think that we're the only planet that has life, that has the only planet that has speaking beings with podcasts or cars or, or energy or love and, and, and families would be about the most ignorant thing I could think of because like they said in the movie Contact, that'd be an awful waste of space. But we don't know for sure, but in my frame of the universe, there are millions of planets with life. Hopefully none of them have Darth Vader on them because he seems like a dick. But definitely the Emperor, at least. Darth Vader turned his, changed his ways towards the end. But the Emperor, not a cool dude. But I guarantee you, where there are living beings who love, there are living beings who hate. And where there is hate, there is the propensity for fear, and then there's a propensity for for carnage, and then there's a propensity to want to dominate another being, another species, whatever that might be. So whatever we're experiencing here, no doubt, has been extrapolated over millions and millions of planets in this universe. There's other people who say no to think that there's other life on other planets that that goes against my frame that of of my religion, my religious beliefs, or what we do or don't know. Totally, totally, totally. Your frame has just as much validity as mine because you have experienced things in your life that cause you to believe it, right? We all have our own experiences that cause us to believe things. There are certain things that are facts, right? The sun rises in the east and sets in the west. We, we hold that as a fact. When in fact, the, the sun sits still, we're the ones who move. So the planet moves, right, from east to west, but the sun's not doing anything. It's all about the frame. I don't want to walk away from this thinking, wow, so Jesse's saying that, you know, this bad stuff that's happening out there has validity. In a way, everyone's doing the best they can. Not in a way. They absolutely are doing the best they can with the resources they have. Where I was going with that sentence is, in a way, being able to embrace somebody else's opinions, even if they go against our own, is what opens up an energy space between the two of you for them to potentially want to embrace your opinion, even if they don't hold the same opinion. If you negate theirs, why should they, why, why should they all of a sudden elevate yours? It's all in framing, right? Part of the idea of sobriety and recovery is to realize that there's, with, with humility and gratitude comes this integrity, comes this idea that, you know, that there's enough room in this planet for everyone to succeed that everyone has validity because their life has led them to this place where this is what they believe, right? Does it mean that that's how I want them to believe? Does it believe that, does it, even if I think that the way they believe could somehow be toxic and poison society and, and drag us down, I like to subscribe to the frame that good triumphs evil. But then again, my frame of what's good versus what their frame of what's good is, that's different. 
And I can choose to reframe who I used to be. I can choose to reframe the way that I used to think about things because now I choose a more powerful, desirable way of framing things. But it doesn't make my old frame bad. It doesn't make my old frame wrong. It was just the way that I saw it then. Look at it this way, and I'll get you guys out of here on this. Go back through your phone. If you've been, if you use during the age of cell phones, then there are definitely pictures of you blacked out, wasted. Back in the day, you saw that picture and you showed it to your friends and you laughed. And you're like, oh man, remember that? And I was talking to this one chick and we were doing this and we were dancing on the floor. You know, if you're a woman, you're like talking to this one guy or, you know, you, you like people other than men and women, you, you, you whatever. I'm totally trying to be socially even here on my thing. And I don't know, should I start with pronouns in this one? I'm confused. Let's just say this. You look back at the picture and you're like, man, we were having a ball. We were hitting on whatever we like to hit on. And we were drinking whatever we like to drink. And we were at a place listening to whatever kind of music we like to listen to. And we were either uh, sitting in a chair because that's what we like to do. Or we were dancing. Have I covered all the possible options that could piss somebody off if I don't mention? <laughs> Point being is you go back and you look at a picture of you wasted and you have a, you had a frame around what that experience was to you back when you were actively in your addiction. And now you look back on that picture a year, five years, 10 years, and you judge it differently. You have reframed the way that you see that experience. The frame you used then was that frame and it wasn't wrong. It was just the frame that was useful to you then. Now you've reframed it to a new frame. Now I see pictures of blacked out, wasted Jesse, and I'm like, wow, that's how I used to think being present and connected to my friends was. That's how I used to think going to the club and talking to women. That's how I used to think I had to be in order to enjoy that. And now look at me smiling at the amusement park with my girl in the, in, in the Ferris wheel behind it and the beautiful sand. And I get to be completely present. I get to be completely in the moment. I get to absolutely remember it all in this bright, positive way, right? That's, that's, that was who I was then. And this is the picture I have now. Back in the day, if you just show me a picture of me on a Friday night sitting there in my jammies watching a TV show at 11.30, cuddling on the couch, I'd have been like, what the frick is Jesse doing? Get out there and party, man. Ball it up, bro. And now here I am in my 40s thinking, balling it up at the club with the cages and the soap suds. It seems like a ridiculous way to spend a Friday night. I'm definitely going to wake up with a hangover in the next morning versus now I get to chill on the couch, get up at a decent hour on the weekends. You know, and it's like go to the farmer's market, maybe go to Bed Bath & Beyond, Home Depot. I don't know. I don't know if I have enough time, right? Frank the Tank, Frank the Tank. So there's all these options about how we choose to frame things. And there's all these ways that we can begin to reframe things. And when you walk away from this episode, what I, what I really want the impact of this to be, the influence I want this to have on your life, right, is that you have this ability to frame your life the way that you experience it now. Are you framing it in such a way that you dare to dream? Are you framing it in such a way that you know you can achieve? Are you are you wrestling with your fixed mindset that tells you that your ability to stay sober and journey from sobriety to recovery is fixed and that you don't have the ability to do that? Are you developing a growth mindset where you know that if you pay attention and set your intention and you take action and you're disciplined and you exercise flexibility that you can achieve anything you prioritize? Because that's really what it is. 
It's the paying attention and taking action and the discipline and, and having that flexibility so that you know that if you prioritize it, you can achieve it. You have already done this in so many aspects of your life, but were you aware of it? This is the self-awareness that we're talking about on this show. This is the powerful, powerful beingness that you have when you're self-aware of what it is you're thinking and how that's guiding you to your doing. Be, do, have. Be the person who does things so you can have things. You've done this on the other side. You've told yourself you're a worthless piece of crap. You told yourself that nobody loves you. You told you told yourself that if your mommy and daddy couldn't love you, why would anyone love you? So even when someone shows you love, you reject it, you treat them brutally, you treat them horribly so that they eventually run away from you. So it confirms the bias you have about yourself not being lovable. When you could just as easily choose to start stepping toward love. Give a little bit of love, get a little bit of love. And let that be what shows you that love is something that you can have. I get I can't help you go from, I'm a worthless piece of shit, I'm so unlovable, why, why am I even breathing, all the way to the whole world loves me and I'm embraced by everyone. I get that that gap would be like trying to teach someone to jump across the Grand Canyon who just learned to walk. I totally get that. But every single day, an incremental step in the right direction will build up the momentum. So one day you're evil Knievel and you're jumping over the Grand Canyon and booyah, you nailed it, right? You land, you jump off the bike, you're saluting the cameras and the whole world is applauding you. It's a journey. That's why this show's called From Sobriety to Recovery because it's a journey. But the, not but, and the way you're choosing to frame this whole thing will drastically dictate will drastically influence the way that you're experiencing sobriety to recovery. When Shirley says, dare to dream, you can dream again. You can achieve again. She's spot on. But I'll tell you what, if you were on the other end of that conversation with her, like I was, the energy, the positivity, the laughter, the optimism, the enthusiasm coming from somebody with like 20 or 30 years of sobriety, you'd have thought she just got sober yesterday. She was so excited about it. This is the kind of embracing of the positive, optimistic mindset that I talk about. We don't need toxic positivity where even though your pet just died or you just wrecked your car because you were sober, you know, shit still happens even when you're sober. You know, you lost your job because you were sober and being responsible. Shit still happens even when you're sober, right? Something happens. We don't need toxic positivity. Oh, everything is awesome. Everything is good because I'm positive. Like, we don't need to shift it so that we can't even feel into the sad, we can't even feel into the, to the undesirable, to the negative life moments, feel into those. Evaluate what happened. How can you behave better next time? How can you think about it differently next time? How can you feel about it in the moment so that you can begin to move through it so in the future you're prepared for it? I know that sounded like a tongue twister, but I'll leave it at that, that it's a process that you go through. Why did I wreck my car? Evaluate what happened and figure out what it is you could have done better the next the better the next time and then do that the next time it occurs or at least hope that that's what you'll do cuz hopefully you don't put yourself in a lot of positions where you might get into an accident or others don't put you there but personal responsibility dictates that since we don't blame we don't complain and we don't make excuses we take personal responsibility for the life that we currently have and all of this is done through a much more positive framing than previously before you started listening to this episode I, I think I've, I've drilled this one in enough. I think I'm going to let you guys get out of here. 
I want you to walk away from this realizing that the way you're framing your life, the way you're framing who you used to be, the way you're reframing who you used to be, right? And the last but not least, there's the, there's the deframe where you just completely blow up the frame altogether and you just create an entire new memory. You create an entire new reason. You, you create an entire new experience. I look back at me getting blacked out and drunk and realize I needed to have those experiences in order to be the powerful speaker on addiction recovery, in order to be the kind of person who can build a community full of like-minded, like open-hearted people, whether they are the listener that you are or whether they're the person who runs 17 treatment centers around the country. If I want to create a tribe full of people who are taking their lives all the way up and guiding other people to have a life that's all the way up, then all those experiences were necessary. I had a blackout in Singapore or blackout in Indonesia and wake up in Singapore. I had to get uh, arrested in Los Angeles and end up in the drunk tank. I had a blackout in a, in a forest in the middle of uh, freaking Antwerp or wherever it was in Belgium. Those, those experiences had to happen to make me better prepared for what it is I'm doing today. I blew up the, the frame and I created a whole new frame. Preframe, frame, reframe, deframe. The two that you're going to notice the most popping up is going to be frame and reframe. And now that you know that this is happening, how can you start to reframe in a more positive way so that you can look back on who you used to be and instead of shame and guilt and disgust and anger, you can look back with empathy and compassion and hope and optimism because who you were then is not who you are now. You can achieve and you can dare to dream. And in fact, you can achieve your dreams. And you've already started to move yourself in that direction because you have chosen sobriety. And if you're not already on your way and into addiction recovery, I can assure you, you are moving in that direction. You did not make it through 152 episodes without having started into that direction. <laughs> that's, if that's not existence proof, my friends, I don't know what is. All right. As always... Uh, before I say my usual s s farewell um, sign off, I am launching an entire membership site around this material, right? Where it's going to be more succinct. It's not going to take 50 minutes to learn framing. I'm going to teach it to you in like five minutes. There's going to be some really awesome workbooks. There's going to be awesome interactive. There's going to be Zoom meetings. Um, every month or so, so that we can get together. We can talk about the, the content. You can ask questions about the show. You can ask questions about your sobriety and recovery. We can do some laser coaching. We can really get our hands in the mud on this material. I love that you all listen to it. I don't know how active you are in taking notes and then applying it and evaluating it and reapplying it and rinse washing and repeating. So we're going to turn this into a membership site. It's going to be super affordable. There's not going to be any, the, the barrier of entry on this is going to be so low. It's going to be like the cost that it would have been for a beer at the bar is how much it's going to it'll cost per month to be a, a member of the Wise Mind Recovery Tribe. This is here. I am ready. I cannot wait. Inclusivity over exclusivity. The power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives because we wake up sober. That's what I call a reframe. Shout out to Sunshine. Glow on. I love you all. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.